0: Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Nick Scott at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you.
1: Well, I must say, um, I do like the way this month is working itself out. You know, a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day, the theme was a perfect father, and my name was on the screen. Just coincidence. Uh, last week, we were focusing on insecurity. Graham Maybury's name was on the screen. Again, just, you know, coincidence, but uh, as you can see, kindness, look at that, (laughs) kindness and my name. So the Lord moves in mysterious ways, doesn't he? (laughs) Well, we're working our way through a series which we've called Heart of Kings, and uh, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the kings of the Old Testament uh, this month and uh, through next month as well, and... uh, looking at each week uh, uh, just a particular key aspect of their character. Very difficult, isn't it, to sum up a person's life with one word. We're not really proposing to do that, but we just want to hone in, give a bit of an overview of the the character of the king and then hone in on one particular aspect of their character. And uh, the king we're focusing on today is the great King David. And uh, there's a little story tucked away in 2 Samuel 9 that really highlights this aspect, precious aspect, actually, of kindness in uh, David's character. So uh, let's look at that reading, 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 13, and we'll ask Adrian to read that. Thanks, Adrian.
0: David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Zeba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Zeba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Zeba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Zeba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machia, son of Am- Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Zeba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Zeba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever, my the lord, the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son, young son named Micah, and all the pro- members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet.
1: Thank you. Adrian, you might like to just keep that little passage open on your lap or on your device and uh, we'll draw some things out of that in a little while. But before we do, we just want to give a, just something of an overview of King David. Uh, it seems to me there are many words we could use to describe King David. He's certainly the, um, the best known and the most loved of all of the Old Testament kings. And so what words might we use to describe him? Well, words like worshipper come to mind? He's a musician. He's a poet. You might know that he composed most of the Psalms of the Old Testament. Or uh, what about the word shepherd? readily comes to mind when we think of David, another word. uh, Before he became king, of course, David was a lowly shepherd boy, Uh, one of life's experiences that gave him valuable insight, actually, into the very nature of God. As later in his life, he penned those now famous words, The Lord is my shepherd. No doubt, just reflecting back over his own experience of being a shepherd boy. He goes, oh, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I have the Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Beautiful words that are familiar to us. Shepherd. He's described in the scriptures as a a man after God's own heart. A couple of times in the scriptures, uh, in Samuel and again in Acts, he's uh, described in that way. He's included in the great hall of faith. That is Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see his name listed there. As he's one of the great heroes of the faith with his own personal faith in God, his own relationship with God. And so we would all say, um, based on all that, he was just a great man, a great man and a, and a great king. But before we place him on too high a pedestal, there are some other words that we could use to describe David. What about the word adulterer, for example? David spotted the stunningly attractive Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop of the next building. He's looking out his palace window, and he's, my goodness, have a look at that. There she is, having a bath. Let's have another look at that. Now He's got the, looking through the Venetians, having a good look, and then uh, we see that first, as happens, his eyes were drawn, and then his heart was drawn. And actually, in that moment, something... Ugly, really, was revealed in David's heart. And he lived out the process that we see described in James chapter 1, which says this It says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Those verses describe David's experience to a T, and ours as well, incidentally. For David, he saw Bathsheba, he thought to himself, I will have her. The only problem was that she was already married, she had a husband. But, uh, you know, when you're the king, of course, you can make certain arrangements. Which brings us to another word we could use to describe David. Murderer. Perhaps you know the story: how he selfishly and really maliciously organised the death of Bathsheba's husband in battle. He arranged it, and as king, he could have had any woman really, but he fixated on Bathsheba and decided in his heart that he would have her, whatever the cost. And there was a cost. It's cost to. Bathsheba's husband, a cost to her family, cost to David, enormous cost to David himself. So when you think of David, you could be forgiven for thinking, what a terrible person. He was actually a terrible king. Ter- like he belongs in jail. Adulterous, murderous, terrible man. But interestingly, history doesn't remember him that way. Let me suggest a, a reason why. You see, when David was confronted with his sin through Nathan the prophet, we see that he was deeply remorseful. He was quick to confess. He learned from his mistakes and he accepted the suffering that they brought. Perhaps reminds us of Isaiah 66 where this is what the Lord says. He says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. So having committed adultery and murder, David actually was not... He wasn't proud of himself in any sense. He was heartbroken when he realised the depths of his own sin and his own actions. And in spite of the terrible things he'd done, God saw his heart. As he does for each and every one of us, he sees your heart, which can be a, a frightening thing or a comforting thing. For David, I imagine it was a comforting thing. God saw his heart, that he was actually truly humble and truly repentant, truly sorry for the things that he'd done. That's when David wrote those beautiful words of Psalm 51, which include that heartfelt prayer, Create in me a pure heart, O God. What a prayer that is. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Help me, Lord. Sustain me. That same psalm actually begins with these words, have mercy on me, O God. Now this is a, a heartfelt prayer of a broken man. <laughs> have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, please, Lord. Well, there's a little Hebrew word tucked away in there that I want to take a couple of minutes to explain. Also appears three times in our reading. And it's the the Hebrew word is chesed. You've got to kind of say it like that with a bit of a, as if you actually speak Hebrew, which I don't. So I'm just going to say chesed in a very Aussie way. But uh, it's the word which in Psalm 51.1 is translated unfailing love. It's a little phrase you'll see throughout the scriptures, unfailing love. The old King James version translated it as loving kindness. The problem is, Uh, There's not really an adequate word in the English language that captures the depths of the meaning of hesed, which is why it's translated variously through the Scriptures as unfailing love, or as mercy, sometimes, or as compassion, or sometimes it's translated as faithfulness, sometimes it's translated, as it is in our passage this morning, as kindness, kindness, the kindness of God. And this word Actually, Hesed is a—it's uh, a central theological term in the Old Testament. It's a a key attribute in God's description of Himself in Exodus thirty-four six. Uh, When the Lord reveals himself to Moses and you remember the story where God says, well, I'm going to allow all of my glory, the glory of my presence to pass by you. And so he shelters Moses in the cleft of the rock and hides him and protects him. And then his glory passes by Moses. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in it. Abounding in what? Hesed. It's this word, Hesed. Abounding in it. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Because you see, this is the very nature of God. He is Hesed in his nature. And uh, it's perhaps never reinforced more strongly than in Psalm 136, which says, and you'll know the words if you know your Bible give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Some translations say his mercy endures forever. Some say his loving kindness endures forever. They can't quite figure it out because there's not really a word that replaces this word hesed. But 26 times through that psalm, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. This repeated phrase, his love endures forever. His kindness endures forever. His mercy endures forever. It endures forever. It never runs out. It never wears thin. The hesed of the Lord. Another verse, another well-known verse upon which a hymn we sang this morning is based. The Hesed of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. Then you every morning, every morning, when you wake up in the morning, the Hesed of God is new and fresh. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Well, it's also a word tied up with this whole concept of covenant. In the Old Testament, you know, God has entered into a covenant relationship with his people Israel. And in that covenant, you know, God has bound himself to his people. He's bound himself to act toward them in a certain way. This is the very nature of covenant. And God is eternally true and faithful to his self-commitment. He can do no other, actually. He's bound to his people in covenant in the Old Testament. And the good news of the gospel is that through the cross, of course, which is before us, God has set up a new covenant that again binds himself to his people, the church of the living God. It's sealed with the blood of Jesus, his son. And so the fullness of the Lord's chesed, his kindness, is seen at the cross. And this morning, as we, in a few moments, we share in communion together what we recognize through this, these simple elements set before us is that actually we are, those of us who've come to God in faith and received his mercy, we are together recipients of his kindness. We're recipients of his hesed, recipients of the kindness of God through the new covenant represented by the blood and the, the, the bread before us. Let's come back to David. David. And this story about his interaction with this man, Mephibosheth. And um, what I want to do is just share with you four aspects of David's kindness that are revealed in this little story. And each aspect reveals something not only of David's heart, but be reminded that David is a man after God's own heart. So we actually see some things about the very heart of God reflected in David's kindness that he shows The first one, number one, is that David was proactively kind. He says, verse one there, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? What a great characteristic this is. I love the idea of this. What a great thing to aspire to do, to be a person who is always on the lookout for opportunities to show kindness. Kindness. Is there someone around the place here that I can show some kindness to? What a great way to live your life. So it's one thing to have a kind thought, and many of us are good at that. You know, we, we hear of someone who's going through a tough time and we become aware of their pain and their struggle and we think kind thoughts about them. We think kind thoughts towards them. Nothing wrong with that, but we, we have these thoughts. Gee, I hope, uh, I, I hope someone's there for them. I hope, I hope someone helps them. I hope someone's kind of journeying with them through this is this difficult time. It's terrible, isn't it? Terrible what these people are going through. I hope I hope someone does something about that. I mean, these are kind thoughts to have, but you know that's not hesed. Hesed is proactive in its very nature, and it doesn't just think kind thoughts; it acts with kindness. It makes the phone call. It writes the card. It buys the flowers. It makes the meal and delivers it to its destination. It gives the finances. It expresses the, 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 the kindness in some sort of proactive, practical way. What about Micah 6.8? You might have heard of this verse. He's shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy. Hesed, it's this word again. This is what the Lord requires of you. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. These are all very proactive words. Jesus, of course, was all over that in his parable of the Good Samaritan and other places as well, but especially the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he says to his listeners, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The answer came, well, the one who had mercy on him, the one who actually did something about it, the one whose kind thought didn't just remain as a kind thought, or well, in their case, sort of ignoring the guy altogether, but even didn't stay as a kind thought, was translated into kind action. What does Jesus say at the end of the parable? He says, well, now you go and do likewise. Don't just think kind thoughts. Act on them. Go and do something about it. And here in our story today, we see that's exactly what David did. But again, it began with this, this, this idea of proactivity. Is, who is there around the place? Who is there that I can show kindness to? And we also see, interestingly, that back in 1 Samuel 20, David had made a covenant, again, this idea of covenant. This time he'd made a covenant with his dear friend Jonathan, who actually was Mephibosheth's father. It was a covenant of kindness. A promise that David made to always show kindness to Jonathan's children. He said that. This is my oath to you, Jonathan. I will always show you kindness, and I'll show kindness to your children. And so we see that David... Actually, had a deep friendship with Jonathan, his good friend, which extended to this extra effort of kindness expressed to Jonathan's son. Well, number two, David was not only proactively kind, he was generously kind. Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet, um, which we read earlier in another, might have been that chapter or another, no, it was an earlier chapter, chapter four, I think, where he was uh, dropped by his nurse as she ran along. And so he became crippled as a result of an accident when he was about five years old. And uh, what that meant was that in that culture, he was, uh, he, he was in essence a bit of a nobody. He was ostracised, he was overlooked, sort of put away in a corner uh, of no use really to anyone. And uh, terrible, terrible thing. He couldn't contribute much. He was certainly ineligible for kingship, even though he was the grandson of King Saul, as we see in that passage. He had uh, royal blood, he was of the royal line, and yet, well, he's crippled, so, you know, probably can't help very much. So when he came before King David, it's not insignificant, I don't think, that David remembered Mephibosheth's name and called him by name. Let's face it, it's not an easy name to remember. It's not an easy name to read, Adrian. <laughs> that one never really caught on, did it? You know, there's lots of Davids in primary school, but uh, not too many Mephibosheths. Uh, anyway, David the king... Remember, he remembered his name, Ephibosheth, and, uh, and called him by name. And I want to suggest that there's a, a generous kindness in that, remembering people's names. And uh, often you hear people say, oh, I'm terrible with names, terrible. Um, I've said it yourself. Maybe you've said that as well. Um, maybe you've had experiences like I've had where you... Um, <laughs> You meet someone, and they say, oh, yeah, I'm Steve, and this is my wife, Jill. And I say, oh, I'm Nick, nice to meet you. Straight away, I go, "No, nope, forgotten their names. <laughs> Seconds later, terrible. You know, someone once said to me, you can remember people's names, you just have to decide that it's important, and then make the extra effort of kindness. It does take effort. It involves some thought, involves some strategy, perhaps some writing down in a notebook for some of us. But to remember someone's name is an expression of kindness. It says, I see you. I don't overlook you. It says, I, I value you. You are important to me, important enough for me to remember your name. Communicate something important. And for someone like Mephibosheth with his condition, um, that was no doubt very meaningful to him. I've got a friend in um, Jakarta who works as a school teacher up there and um, I'll always remember the time when uh, he came down to visit Perth a number of years ago now he came down with his family and uh, they came here to Mount Pleasant Baptist and visited us uh, I think for two weeks in a row there might have been a bit of a gap between the weeks but on the second occasion when he came here uh, my friend pulled me aside after the service and he said to me you know if we ever came to live here in Perth we would come to your church. Do you know why? And I, uh, I was kind of humbly preparing myself for him to say, it's the preaching, Nick. <laughs> In fact, it's your preaching. That's what I was thinking. Oh, well, here it comes, here it comes. Uh, he didn't say that. What he did say, I will always remember, he said, you know, the first week we came, There was a guy named Mike who welcomed us. And uh, he showed a real interest in us, even though we were kind of first-time visitors. And he remembered our names. And he included our kids and showed interest in our kids. And he said to me, he said, the second time we came, again, this guy, Mike, he, he welcomed us again. And again, he greeted us by name and he remembered our names from the time before. And he remembered our children's names. He remembered our dog's name. (laughs) He somehow knew my mother's maiden name. I've got to figure out how how he does all this, like a magic trick. He said, that's why we would come back here again. Now, Mike Miles is amazing. He's a newcomer's pastor here on staff. Um, But actually, Mike... Has just decided that it's really important to remember people's names. I've spoken to him about that. He doesn't find that easy always. He has various techniques. Don't burst the bubble, uh, but uh, he writes things down. He's got a he, after he's met you, we're going write that down. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> but, but even that is an act of kindness. He's going. That person's important. I'm going to. I'm going to remember them next week. I'm going to remember that person's name when I see them again. This is important. It's reflective of the kindness of God. You know, I love Isaiah 43, where the, uh, the Lord says, He says, I've, "I've called you by name. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight. I love you. I give nations for you. This idea of God calls us by name. God, God loves you so much with that hased that kindness. This is an act of the kindness of God. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. It's not such a challenge for some people, but it, you know, some of us have a lot of hair. He calls you by name. He's generously kind. Number three, David is selflessly kind. And in his generosity to Mephibosheth, David restores to him the land that belonged to Grandpa Saul, the king. I mean, that would have been a significant amount of land. David restores it all to him. He didn't have to do that. And so Mephibosheth obviously is... um, astonished at the whole scenario and he says there he says what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me you think man here's a guy with some self-esteem issues well not for long actually that's the way David exalts him at this point he can't believe it he's a cripple David is the king arguably the most powerful man on earth at that time showing him this extraordinary kindness it's a truly selfless act of kindness on David's part because really there's nothing in it for him, really. Nothing, there's nothing he gains by being kind to this person other than the fulfilment of this covenant promise that he's made. But for us, you know, often when it comes to acts of kindness on our part, there's, there is something for us to gain, uh, at least potentially. There's the what goes around, comes around principle that might enter your head as you show somebody kindness. It's, that, that thought that if I'm kind to you, then maybe down the track somewhere, you might do me a few favours in return. And in my mind, I can be thinking, oh, remember that time I did this for you? Well, you know, now it's your turn. I'll scratch your back, you can scratch mine. Well, that's not the way the kindness of God works. It's a different kind of kindness. Or else there are the mixed motives that creep in if we're not careful. This thought, again, that can creep into our minds, I'll be kind to you, but what I'm really hoping is that other people will notice my kind acts or hear about my kind acts and think well of me. So I'll act kindly to you, but actually what I'm really thinking is this, is this is going to work out quite well for me if the news of this spreads. Did you hear about what Nick did for that family? Oh, he's so kind, isn't he? He's such a good man. Well, I'll do what I can, you know. Humility. But if we're not careful, our so-called acts of kindness are really just strategies to promote our own reputation and Jesus says when you give to the needy when you show kindness to others don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing don't even let your hands be aware such is the, uh, the, the, the secrecy, the confidentiality of the, the acts of kindness that you show people, don't act kindly with your own publicity in mind something about selfless kindness that Uh, reflects the heart of God no one else knows about it but I'm showing kindness to this person and number four finally David was sacrificially kind and we see here in this verse that Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table it's an amazing thing as an act of kindness David opened his home he opened his palace even his family table to this young man and you know it's a powerful thing to open your home and invite people to join you at your family table. That is a powerful act of kindness that you can show somebody else. Most of us, or many of us, are very protective of our own personal space. I know Margie and I have got a bit of that, and we're quite protective of our personal space. If we do open our homes, it'll uh, often be to people who are like us, you know, our type of people. People like us, people around our age, our friends. But you know, the heart of the kingdom of God would be to open your home to people who are not like you. People from another age group, people from another another culture, people from another ethnicity. You know, the gospel breaks down those barriers between people. And so too must we. I love 1 Peter 4, 9 that says offer hospitality to one another without grumbling Isn't that great yeah. offer hospitality to one another without grumbling is a word from the lord for you it's a reminder to us that there's a cost to kindness that actually you know selfishness and kindness cannot coexist that as you express the kindness of god to others there'll be a price to pay there'll be a sacrifice to be made it's a, if it's a true kindness it will cost you something might cost you money, might cost you time it might mean you foregoing something, sacrificing something that you want for yourself but instead as an expression of kindness you give it away, there's a cost there's also a blessing of course. But This is the nature of the kindness of God whose kindness is most clearly expressed at the cross and that Statement I made earlier, kindness creates connection. Kindness creates connection. In a a sense, that little phrase is a summary of the work of the cross. You know, it's uh, the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It says in Romans chapter 2, a beautiful verse, the kindness of God. That's what leads you to repentance. And often it's the kindness of God's people that will demonstrate the chesed, steadfast love, kindness of God and draw people to a place of faith. This morning as we close, I'm going to invite you in a moment to come and share in this um, meal at the communion table before us and uh, the elements set before us, the bread which is a reminder of the body of Christ which is given for us and the cup which is a reminder of his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins the forgiveness of your sins and so as we come to the table in a moment, before we do I'd just like to invite you to read aloud with me the words of Titus chapter 3 and then I'll pray, but let's, let's read these words aloud together He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we see in the cross a kindness that is Proactive and generous, selfless and sacrificial. A kindness that has created and enabled a connection with humanity. And so, Lord, as your people this morning, we're thankful that we are counted among those with whom you have made connection. And in response, we would seek to be those who live these things out in our own lives. We thank you for the example of David, a man after your own heart, who having experienced himself the the hesed, the loving kindness of God, expressed that to others. So Lord, may that also be a description of each one of us as we too are formed more and more into your likeness. We thank you, Lord, too, for the example of Mephibosheth, In whom we also see ourselves in the sense that we too are in one sense those who are crippled and yet invited by the King of Kings to the table set before us this morning. Lord, we're crippled by our own sin, our own brokenness, our own inability to save ourselves. And yet you come to us with your hesed, your loving kindness, your generous, steadfast love. We thank you, Lord, this morning for the bread that reminds us of your body which is given for us, for the cup that reminds us of your blood poured out for us. And, Lord, we receive your kindness and your forgiveness through these elements represented before us today with thankful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 93291777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.